When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I am your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am with none other than Dr. Finesse, who is covering for Agent Smith, who not unfortunately for him, I guess, but unfortunately for us, (laughs) he's in Morocco on a surf trip. Morocco surf trip. I didn't even that, know there was surfing in Morocco. Okay, I, I have bad news to report. I didn't even know it was a coastal <laughs> like country. I feel terrible. That I knew, that I knew. All right, so you're way better off than me. That's hilarious. So that's terrible, yeah. So uh-huh. anyway, today we're going to be talking about DMC, Daryl DMC McDaniels, mm. a blast certainly from my past, and an absolutely fascinating guest who I've really enjoyed getting to know off camera as well. Uh, since the episode, I've hung out with them a couple times. So this it's is going to be a lot of fun. crazy to me. It's yeah. so crazy. How many people can say they became friends with DMC? It is crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> like, literally crazy as a child of the 80s, yeah. my friend. Yes. <laughs> it is surreal getting to know him. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it hit me when you told me, but it really hit me when I was just talking with my brother. And he asked how the interview went. And I said, oh, it went pretty, it pre- went pretty well. And Tom hangs out with them now and they he was at his hotel room and they were just talking shop and he's like wait a minute wait so tom's like friends with them i'm like yeah he goes that's nuts i was like yeah that's nuts and it just really hit me and he's like man do you ever think you'd be sitting in a room with dmc when you were a kid watching him as run dmc and i was like well i'm not sitting in the room with them that's tom but no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes two of us. Yeah, yeah. That makes two it, of it us. Just, it blew my mind. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty bizarre. Yeah. That is one of the cool things about doing the show, I have to admit. Like, getting these extraordinary people yeah. into the room, getting a chance to connect, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then seeing where it goes from there. And I've actually had some very real relationships in my life come out of the show. Peter Diamandis probably being right. the most like meaningful is really become a, a pretty central figure in my universe. So Which is nice. that's, that's really cool. And yeah, there's been a lot of people, <sighs> but um, DMC now on that list. It's mind blowing. It's pretty crazy. It's um, wow. So this, uh, this interview for me, it almost felt like um, M night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yes. It felt like um, unbreakable to me. You know what I mean? Really? Yes. Almost like the making of a superhero. Yeah. So I hear that. And, and I don't know if it was intentional, but we, we, we did something different with it. It's almost like it almost had like a shadow feel and it was not Goggins dark, but still it had that darkness to the interview. Cause he, he had this inner turmoil and he had this struggle and out of it, almost like a phoenix, he almost kind of became a superhero. I don't think there's any almost, man. Like, straight up like a phoenix. The man was literally, 
Like in this, we didn't really go too hard on it in the interview, but he was standing on a ledge. That's right. Actually about to jump and thinking it, the only thing that stopped him was he said, I looked over the edge. I really wanted to do it. And I thought if I don't die, it's really going to hurt. Mm. And it's kind of funny when he says it, but like not funny when you really yeah. put yourself on the rooftop yeah. and think about the mental space you'd have to be in when you're you're actually thinking jumping right now would be better than living, which is pretty terrifying, especially for somebody that's accomplished what he's accomplished. And by the way, we um, for those that don't know, Run DMC like literally defined hip hop. They're the ones that took it mainstream. Mm -hmm. They created the rap rock genre. They were the first ones with the sneaker deal. They yeah. were the first ones to be in movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like crazy in in the intro to the episode i list all of the things yeah. that they were the first to do or i don't even remember if it's a full list it was just so comical the <laughs> the number of th the first with a gold record the first with a platinum record i mean it's just like on and on the first with a sneaker deal i mean it's just crazy the way that these guys really started a ball rolling that is mm -hmm. still rolling today yeah and, and it's funny because and you wouldn't expect that i mean i guess that's one of the biggest misconceptions of course of the, about depression is people think well oh man you have everything especially right. people who uh, acquire money or fame uh, you hear that all the time like, why did that person do that why did Kurt Cobain do that why did this person do that you have everything you have so much adulation why would you do that but it's just kind of a misunderstanding so what's your take on being in a position where everyone wants what you have and you seem to have everything that you desire but there's still this darkness that holds you down, that holds you down. So what's, what's your thought? Have you read the poem, Richard Corey? No, I have not. Oh my God. It's so good. Christopher, Th this is one of those things I know I've talked about it before, but like it, I read it when I was eight or nine and I remember it to this day. And it wasn't like, I remembered it so well. It was one of those, I didn't reread it or relook it up until I was in my thirties. Wow. And I thought, you know what? Let me just look this thing up, make sure that I remember it right. Because I would say to people like, oh, have you ever read Richard Corey? Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, how am I the only one that knows this poem? Like, uh -huh. this has got to be like a thing. And anyway, the story is about this guy who is like the revered person in town. He's okay. handsome. He's wealthy. He's well-respected. People like him. Women want to be with him. Guys want to be like him. I mean, just like one of those guys. And then the last line of the, so it's just like painting this picture. This guy's amazing. Ah, And then the last line of the poem is he goes home by himself and shoots himself in the head. And you're like, what, what, what? And it comes out of nowhere in the poem. And DMC so perfectly encapsulates that and all the people Jim Carrey's talked about. Like, yeah. I wish everyone could get rich and famous. So you'd see it's not the answer. My obsession is getting people to understand the game you're playing is not success. It's not money. It's fucking brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. And DMC really says it in the episode. He said, look, if you, no matter what you have, no matter what you, is going on in your life, if you don't feel good about yourself, everything else falls to shit. Dude, that is so true. And once you realize that the, on, the only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself, like you're, you're never going to get where you want to go until you get that. So for me, it was emptily chasing money. It wasn't that like money's been awesome. Money's been very powerful. The show wouldn't exist. This company wouldn't exist if I didn't have the resources personally to be able to throw at it. But at the same time, when I was just chasing money, it didn't matter as like I was getting it because it was so empty. So this is like you, to, you actually felt empty. It didn't feel good to you. 
it did not feel good. Wow. And so my journey, I feel like I've, I've talked to death. So I'm going to encapsulate it really fast, but it went like this. I get out of film school. I feel lost. I don't know how to break in. I meet these two guys. They're very successful. And they say, Hey, you're coming to the world with your handout. You need to learn to control the resources. Awesome. I go all in on being an entrepreneur. I spend eight and a half years saying, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get rich to control the resources to go do what I actually want to do, which is make movies. And in that process, I realized the struggle is a guarantee. You're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. You're going to go through emotional turmoil of like the most extreme, like in anybody's life, that's a promise. I can't, however, promise that your life will ever be good. Mm. I can promise it'll be hard as hell, but unless you get your mind right, I can't promise that it'll be good. So if the struggle is guaranteed and the success is not, the happiness is not, then you need to optimize for the struggle. Like mm. the struggle in and of itself needs to be beautiful regardless of the outcome. And so what DMC went through is very similar to what I went through, which is you're going after this thing that isn't you. It's not real to mm -hmm. who you are. So for him, they were telling him, hey, just he wanted to write from the place to really bring it back to what you said about this phoenix rising from the ashes mm -hmm. and actually becoming a superhero. He started writing because it was him make-believing in the same way that he would put a blanket around his neck to pretend that he was a superhero. Yeah. He would write like a rapper to pretend that he was like this person that didn't have anxiety and was the king of rock and like <laughs> all of that, right? But it was make-believe. Mm. And in making believe, he manifested it, became real. He was loving it, having a great time. And then it all goes to shit because people start saying, well, now you're successful. You got to keep it and you got to write a hit record. And so it like all that pressure of maintaining the success mm. was ultimately what fucked him up. And so he begins to realize like, oh God, lean in. <laughs> like he loses his voice. God. Like literally, literally yeah. loses his voice. And you can hear it a little bit in the interview. He sounds, he's got like, um, it's like a raspiness. Yeah, it's called uh, something spasmodic dysphonia. Okay. I'm almost certain that's the right answer which is your vocal cords are spasming. Oof. So they're looking at his throat and they're saying, there's nothing wrong. Like, we don't know why you're losing your voice. And the irony of ironies is how literal it was that he loses yeah. his inner voice. Yeah. He stops being, as he referred to it, little Daryl McDaniels. And he only becomes the projection of himself, DMC, in a group where he feels like he's being told what he has to do. And it, his entire life becomes aughts, shoulds and he loses that like what do i want what do i desire what do i connect to the comic books all of that and actually loses his voice as a physical manifestation of what's going on mentally and i can't dude if you i have the chills if you need any reminder that the body will manifest a reality right so yeah. you get what you fucking focus on this guy's focused on i'm losing my voice in the group i'm having to write the stuff that i don't believe in and then literally loses his voice i can't believe that shit is real that feels so weird to me but this is like my obsession with the matrix your mind constructs a reality and it becomes real if you die in the fucking matrix you die in real <laughs> yeah, life yeah it's crazy. I mean, these are things you hear and read about all the time, but most people don't really see this, or even if they see it, they don't realize they're seeing this happening. So I, I guess I believe it, but I just want to 
uh, to confirm, so you do believe that losing his voice had something to do with his inner struggle? 100%. He even says, I didn't get my voice back until I stopped drinking and I found comics. And he said, my voice started coming back in these meetings where we're, I'm fi- I've finally been convinced to do the comics. And now I'm in this meeting and they're like, you know, what should we do? And he starts like getting excited. Like when he was a kid and he was like, oh, this should be set in the eighties. But like, is it really the eighties or is it the future? Yeah. And he was like, all of a sudden I realized, whoa, I can talk again. That's crazy. Dude, it's, so it's, it's crazy. so crazy to me. So what is that? Is that your brain? I mean, I, I mean, I know you're not the authority on it, but what's your take on it? Like, what do you? It's think? so weird, dude. It seems maladaptive. I'll be really honest. Like, I don't get why that would be true, unless it is simply the flip side of the confidence coin. Okay. So it's like, okay, if you're going to be the you know the alpha in the group and get more territory, access to women, all of that, then. It makes sense that as you win and you get more confident that there would be a physical manifestation. They've done fascinating studies (laughs) with rats, dude. And they would take a small rat and they would put it in a cage with another rat its same size, but they would drug the other rat. And so rat A, whoops, rat B's ass. And it thinks, whoa, I can really fight. Then they would put a slightly larger rat, but they'd dope it again. And so it wins. Bigger rat, it wins. Until they could do it against a bigger rat that wasn't drugged. It was so confident it would Fuck that rat up. That's crazy. All because it believed in itself. It believed it could do it. So I get that. So is this just like the upside down to make a Stranger (laughs) Things 2 reference? Is is it the upside down? Maybe. Like if it's just that flip side of the coin. I don't know, man. There's just something so weird about because, and, and I'm thinking out loud here, but this feels so right. Okay. Because your brain is encased in total darkness and total silence. It's never, light never touches your brain. The perturbations of the air never touch your brain. It hits the eardrum, it's turned into an electrical chemical signal that your brain interprets. Your eyes, same thing, right? It turns those photons into an interpretation that it then creates this world around you. Now, because you don't bump into a lot of shit, you think this is real. And because we all sort of agree that yes, the couch is over there and like, So we think it's objective reality, but the truth is it is not fucking objective reality. It is wildly subjective. It is a total construct. And if it's a construct and your brain, once it begins to malfunction, it's going to create what it thinks it needs to create. Now, if you really want to get freaked out, think about this for a second. Right now, Christopher, can you see fine? Yeah. Okay. In front of both of your eyes, where the optic nerve connects to the eyeball, there is a dime-sized blank spot in your vision what but you don't experience it do you no your brain fucking fills it in it fills it in dude with its best guess of what should be there and it does it so fast and so seamlessly you don't even realize it what that freaks me out there are these things that you can do where you hold your i've never figured out how to do it every time i hear it described in a book i'm like i don't understand what you're saying but like there's a way where you can hold your thumb up that you can make like entire regions of your you can put that region of your vision behind the blind spot and so you become aware of it because you can make somebody's head disappear or whatever, even though you're looking right at them. It's That's crazy. Not, I mean, the only thing I know is that, and I read this in, um, uh, oh my God, who's our guest? The, the PBS brain. Um, David Eagleman. Yes. Uh, in man. his book, uh, and, and there were all these little simple things. There was that one chapter when he was just spitting out all these little facts um, of reminders. And it's the nose that your eyes 
always see your nose, mm-hmm. but your brain has erased it. It turns it off. <laughs> Which is crazy. And I remember telling my wife and her friends that. She's like, no, we can't see our nose. Like, well, you're not really seeing it unless you look down, but you are seeing it, but your brain has erased it. Oh, you're fucking me up right now because all I can see now is my nose. <laughs> it's like, I know. We as soon as you put it, it on my radar, exactly, yeah. Exactly. Which is crazy. Um, so the theme, the, uh, the theme that kind of threaded throughout this was um, kind of getting your inner voice, finding your inner voice. Um, and I, I, it kind of resonated with me with him being uh, silenced in the group when Run DMC and not having his voice. Um, and it's funny because I, I kind of went through that myself. And it's something I rarely talk about. And prob- probably my wife's the only one who ever heard this. But I have three best friends. And two of them just happen to have become actors. Mm. And to see uh, what changed for them and being around them and suddenly people stop paying attention to you. Like you could be standing with that person. (laughs) Speaking of the brain turning things off, the brain will turn off some fans' eyes to you when you're standing next to their idol. Mm. (laughs) It will turn you off. And it's insane. Uh, Just hanging around and seeing folks just ignore you and not acknowledge you. And to me, that is weird because I acknowledge everyone in the room. That's just who I am. It's always been that way. And you better believe if there were two people, I'm definitely going to acknowledge the second right. person. I can understand if it's about like a group of people, then you're like, okay, I'm not, this is tiring. So it blew my mind when that would happen. And I remember there was a point in my life about 15 years ago, I actually struggled with it. I struggled. And I remember having this feeling of losing myself. Mm. I'm pretty confident. I don't have an ego. It wasn't even an ego thing. I just remember thinking... Wow, I, I'm just invisible to some of these people every time I'm with my friend, which was all the time at the time. And it was, it messed with me. And it's amazing how that can mess with you. So I guess he figured it out for himself. But how, how do people cultivate that confidence when they feel like their voice is being stifled? Well, he, he gives a great example of what he did. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people have to go through the pain. They've got to go through the incredibly difficult um, emotional trauma to really get back out the other side. And even like I'm reading Ray Dalio's book, Principles, right now, and he talks about that. And he talks about how that pain is actually really useful. And for people that run from the pain, you're never going to grow. You're never going to adapt. And he says that, and I love this that evolution is the greatest, um, oh God, what does he call it? It's like the greatest force, Mm. the greatest force in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh man, that's such a cool way to look at it. And he's like, to miss out on your opportunity to grow because you're afraid of that pain, Mm -hmm. to miss out on the opportunity to really leverage evolution as a person Mm -hmm. to get better, to improve is pretty crazy. And I don't know why, But as humans, we seem to need that. We need the pain in order to spur us to grow and get better. So you see him go through that same thing of having to really face that, to refine his voice, to say like, I have two options. Either I kill myself because I don't want to face that like my past now is bigger than my future is going to be, that I don't have a voice. Or you just go, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. Mm. I'm going to be me. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to refine myself. And so he does that. And I think that there is this element of expectation on people where you really have to let it go. And you've got to like stop worrying about what other people think. Mm. You've got to just do you. Yeah. And as cheesy as that sounds, like that really is the answer. And I think a lot of people judge themselves against a metric of success that they actually don't give a shit about. Mm -hmm. And that, that really becomes a problem.
And it's funny, to the pain note, um, our previous guest, Lida Jenna, uh, she talked about turning pain into power. Um, and it, it's funny because it does seem to be a common thread. Uh, speaking of common threads, one of our viewers, said Jake, on, um, on the comment section of this interview, of DMC's interview, he says, the struggle is normal, which is a great play on the struggle is real. And I think more and more people are realizing that they're not alone with their struggles. Mm. Um, has misery loves company, that phrase basically been redefined? Ooh, that's interesting. I, I've always read that comment to be one of the grossest parts mm -hmm. of human nature, which is not a realization that you're not alone. It's it's crabs in a bucket. Mm -hmm. So I really want to know if this is true. I don't. Maybe you know. If you put a single crab in the bucket, so the story goes, it will be able to climb out. But if you put multiple crabs in a bucket, none of them can get out. Because as soon as one is about to get out, the other one pulls it back down. <laughs> which crazy. That's crazy yeah. and really feels like one of the uglier sides of humanity. And I mm -hmm. think there's a little too much yeah. people in that story. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel like that term's really been redefined. But I think that social media, the internet has really allowed people to realize I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. So people can en engage in a much deeper way. Mm. Uh, okay, well, speaking of how you're feeling in DMC, he got to a point where he started feeling better about himself. He says, when you feel good, everything comes to you. It's funny. I, it's one of those comments. Th there's a friend of mine who I have. Uh, her name is Bridget, uh, great musician. Uh, I met her in like, I think it was like 2001 in a laundromat of all places. <laughs> so 2001, uh, and I didn't have laundry at the time, and I remember I was just <laughs> walking. <laughs> exactly, I was just I, I was in a very bad apartment, and I walked across the street, and I uh, went in there, and there was a, mind you, she's a very beautiful person, but um, I it's not why I approached her because I never would approach a beautiful woman, honestly, because it's just I just feel like I'd get shot down. <laughs> but she was sitting on the laundromat, and she just she looked like a musician. There was something about her, and I just remember walking up to her. And just introducing myself. It's something else I don't do. Because she had this great air about her. We ended up becoming really, really good friends. Uh, and she's... I'm different where I'm, I'm not as everything the universe. you got to be in touch with the universe. She's almost uh, like, what's his face, uh, on crack. Like Jamie Will and um, <laughs> Jason Silva. But throwing some crack. Like she's very in touch with the universe. And I ran into... I was going through a hard time about three years ago. And I ran into her. And again, she was given the talk about like, oh, you just got to start feeling good. You got to start feeling good and things are going to come to you. And I was like, man, I don't know, man. Come on. Let's stop talking about this. She goes, no, no, no. It's, don't even look at it like the universe gives back. Just start feeling good about yourself and good things will come to you. And I was like, yeah, I guess I have been complaining a lot. So I just started feeling good about myself. And you know what? I'm telling you, things turned around. But I don't know if I just manifested it or just my confidence created an avenue for me to get back on the right track. So what, what's your thoughts on that? Because I despise woo-woo, yeah. um, I, I will give you what I think is really going on, and I think it, it'll resonate. So one, feeling good about yourself is just a way more positive place, which means that you're opening the path to creativity, you're opening a path to connecting random ideas in your brain. This is part of the reason that I meditate is when you get into an alpha wave state, which I'm gonna say is pretty tough accidentally if you're in a negative place, 
That's a guess. That is definitely me outside of what I actually know, but that feels right. And when I think about meditating, part of what you have to do first before you really get into an alpha wave state is you're decompressing. You're getting out of the sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system, which your cortisol levels, when you're just like background stressed out are elevated. So mm. you're lowering all of that stuff. So just by saying, hey, I'm gonna start feeling better about myself, you're getting your neurochemistry in the right place, which facilitates, I believe, facilitates different brainwave patterns, which are going to make creative connections and all that more likely, so that's one. So now you're feeling more creative. Two, you're just thinking more optimistically, which, is important because when you're thinking optimistically, you allow yourself to believe that something could happen, which means that you're gonna take action on that thing. And then three, when you're putting out positive vibes, people just wanna be around it. So now all of a sudden, like you know my theory, get me in the room. Mm -hmm. Now, part of my whole thing when I get in the room is to make them want to be around me. Mm. So it's like, hey, I can help, like I might be, because they're not doing it because they want to do something nice for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they see an opportunity to feel better about themselves, yeah. to get something done that they want to get done. They're excited. You can infect people with your attitude. So if your attitude is negative, you're going to infect people with that. They don't want to be around it. Mm. If your attitude is positive, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I want to be around this guy. Yep. And so now it's like, it's not that things are just coming to you. It's that you're actually in a place to get other people excited, which means now you're clicking up. You can do so much more as a part of a group than you can by yourself. So like, for instance... If you had come in to, um, at the time, Inside Quest and been like a miserable git, we're all thinking, oh, we don't want this guy around, <laughs> right? So that would have been a door closed. Yeah. Whereas you walk in, A, you're highly recommended by somebody that we trust. B, you come in, everybody's like, this dude's rad. Like, mm -hmm. we want to be around him. So now we make the offer. Now you're in the driver's seat. You get to decide whether you want to be around us or not, right? So, mm -hmm. but all of that came from you're switching your mind, you're getting into a positive place. So now, doors that would have otherwise been closed just because people don't want to be around you are open. Mm. Now it's like, oh, cool, I get to choose. I'm in the driver's seat. So it to me, it's like logical cause and effect. Mm. No, that makes sense. I, and I guess with people, that, you know, they, got, they have to put themselves in that positive mindset. And it's almost um, with the, the crabs in the bucket thing. And the, you know, if you could be the one crab who gets out <laughs> when you're not pulling other folks down or worrying about pulling other folks down or worrying about being in a in a miserable spot, which is the bucket. So that makes total sense. What I love about that story though, man, is that she said, you should just feel better. And you were like, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to feel better. Yeah. But that's actually how it works, by the yes, way. Yes, it's like, crazy. People think there's got to be something. It uh -huh. comes down to what you focus on. Yeah. So if you start saying, you know what? Like, this is what I, when I am in a piss poor mood, all I do is think, smile. Mm. What is so weird is even if I don't smile, Simply thinking about a smile will make me feel better. It is so bizarre. I don't know how to explain it to people other than like just the other day when Jared and I were filming our last episode of After Impact, uh -huh. I was really low energy. And before the show, I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm low energy. And he was like, don't forget, like you're the, you, you, um, what do you say? You don't find energy, you create energy. And <laughs> I, I was like, dude, you're so right. And uh -huh. so right then I was like, I'm just going to create energy. And just thinking about being energetic, all of a sudden, I was energetic. Yeah. It's super weird. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. 
Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you, back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know, and it's so funny because um, I often remind myself of Bridget saying just <laughs> just be happier or just, you know, uh, just feel better. Mm. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I'm in a position. It's simple. I remember I was at a park one day and I was exhausted. I was tired. It's just one of those mornings when my son got up really early and he had way too much energy for the day <laughs> that I could not match. And I'm sitting on a park bench, and I'm just in this weird mood where I'm just not feeling good. And suddenly I'm like, you know what? No, let me just feel better at the moment. Let me just sit there and think it. And I know that sounds so cut and dry, but I was really focusing. I know depression and being upset are two different things, so I will say that. Yeah, yeah. I was not depressed. I was just sitting there and stewing in my sorrows. So instead I was like, no, let me just feel better for the moment. And it just changed the day. He completely changed today. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things. And, and I love when DMC said that. When you feel good, everything comes to you. And I didn't take it as the universe giving right. it to you or the woo-woo <laughs> thing. I actually was just like, I think he is hitting it right on the head. He made a choice and a decision because it is about helping yourself. Like, we all know that with all, uh, you know, uh, mental ailments. Uh, again, if you're in a deep, dark place, it's harder. It's easier said than done. But either way, it still begins with you. So when he said that, that's the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, yeah, he's right. Um, so Daryl, a.k.a. DMC, was clearly still working through his struggles uh, from his past, which he even acknowledged himself. Um, and so sitting in the chair, you could, it was almost, it, to me, it felt like, how can I say this without making it sound bad, but it felt like therapy for him to get a lot of things off his chest. He is still no working through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it, man. So reclaiming his story, reclaiming his voice is very cathartic for him. And one thing that he and I have actually talked about off camera is, is the power for him in retelling that story. And I I think that that's this, in fact, oh, uh, see if people can make the leap with me here. So one of the easiest ways, and I forget who said this, but it was from a clinical therapist. And he said the easiest way to predict whether a couple will stay together or not is how they tell their story. So if they tell their story like, 
yeah, we, you know, we met when we were two young, dumb kids and we've been paying the price ever since. It's like, they're fucked. Right. But if they go, Hey, look, can you believe it? Like, this is how Lisa and I tell our story. We were so young when we met, like, this is unbelievable that we've been able to work through all of that and like evolve together and really like rediscover each other constantly. Like, it's amazing. And what incredible journey we've been on together. Like it's, it is legitimately terrifying to think how young we were and how stupid and underdeveloped we were when we got together. But like how incredible <clears throat> to have somebody on this journey who's always wanted to help me become a better version of myself, right? Th both are true. And you could leverage that one and say, oh, we're so dumb and mm -hmm. like, you know, or like really see like, whoa, this is amazing and this is powerful. So I think there was probably a time where he told himself that exact same story and it had a very dark and very sad punchline, hmm. which is, you know, you were a part of this group and you blew up and then like they took something away from you and wanted you to write crap and you know, you fell for it and you did that and let yourself be silenced and what an idiot. And I'm sure that's exactly why he started drinking because he had a very negative view of what happened. And then he meets Sarah McLaughlin, which is just this incredible story. Uh, first, he falls in love with her music and literally he listens to it for a year and says it was literally the thing that saved his life and meets her. They end up recording a song together. And like all of that begins giving him a way to rethink of his story and being adopted. Like the fact that he was adopted mm. and which he's talked a lot about, if you want to hear him really go into detail, um, he's done a lot of interviews about discovering that he was adopted and that it put him really, really in a dark place mm. and just felt like my whole life is a lie. And that was like right after um, Jam Master Jay had died. Right. And so it was like, he was like, Jesus, like what else? Yeah. So he's in this super dark place. His story is like getting all out of whack. He had that really famous line, which he actually does in the episode about being the um, son of Byford, brother of Al, right? Mm -hmm. That whole thing. And so he was like, all of it was a lie. Yeah. And once he began to reframe it, no, wait a second. Like I've got a chance to help other people and I can help people that are going through the same thing. And my music has helped so many people. And the Sarah McLaughlin gave him a way to connect with people that had been coming up to him for years, mm -hmm. decades, telling him how much the, his music meant to them, but he couldn't emotionally connect to that. Mm -hmm. So now he has this emotional connection. He's got a, a reason to feel connected to other people to help. And so that gives him like a new reason to stay alive. And I mean, it's just like all these new frames of reference for his own story begin to click into place. Then you put the comics thing on top of it. And now it's like, he's got this through line, which he talks about in the episode. And he said, you can always trace this stuff back to its origin, right? Which is a superhero reference to be sure. Mm -hmm. But for him coming back to comics, like makes all of this crazy journey make sense because that's where he started as like a preteen mm -hmm. was really being into comics. So that story and the way that you tell it is just super important. No, that's fascinating. Um, <clears throat> little side note, uh, Sarah McLaughlin. I, I found that I loved that. Uh, I mean, to me, it was beautiful that her song, Angel, saves his life, essentially. And uh, because here's this guy who you associate strictly with hip-hop. I mean, when you get mm -hmm. to know him, you know he's more than that. Um, but you associate him strictly with hip-hop. Uh, one of the most iconic figures of hip-hop. And here he is loving this. Uh, song by uh, 
Sarah McLaughlin. Mm. Uh, such a and it's a sweet song. And I and I loved it. It resonated with me too because I went through a Sarah McLaughlin phase. Big time. Really? Big time. That's interesting. Yeah, there was a friend of mine in college who was really into her. She was into her and Paula Cole and all those little fair women. She was mm. really into that stuff. And I remember not even feeling it. And just one day I was at uh I was in her dorm room and she was playing uh Building a Mystery. And I remember thinking I like this song. This one's pretty dope. Who's this? She was just Sarah McLaughlin. I was like, this is Sarah McLaughlin? Because it doesn't sound as soft and acoustic as mm. some of her other stuff, right? And, and the guitar in that song I love. And it's actually one of the first songs I learned to play in the guitar. Um, so I went through a phase where I went back and I bought her music. And I was listening uh, to her music. It's so crazy when I think about it. Um, so when he said that, I was laughing, but almost like... A nervous me too laugh. Hashtag me too. I was like, oh God, do I admit this? But I'm admitting it now. Sarah McLaughlin, she's dope. Uh, So I think that I thought that was great. Um, So uh, DMC says you, basically we, have a superpower, and you're too busy overlooking it. Um, I love that line. We opened the interview with that line as a Mm. um, a tease. and then clearly there's a reason we did pick it, but I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, this this to me is, it's so powerful to understand what you love. And that's what I'm going to say. Your superpower isn't necessarily the thing you've developed into a talent. So the analogy that I like to use is Superman. So for me, one of the things that I realized was I'd spent so much time obsessing over the Batman mythology, which is all about like leveraging the darkness to get strong, to do the things you have to do, like thinking about his parents being killed gives him like the fortitude to really grind it out in like the most extreme level. Like in Batman mythology, to give you an idea, he can read lips in Russian, like not only like the martial arts stuff, right? Like he just takes it to another level, is unable to have real relationships in his life. Like all the consequence of the darkness is all consuming for him. But I loved that. And the way that it like pushes you and you know, I'm a big fan, big believer in the darkness, but I've realized that that needs to be relegated to 20%. Like, To I would not want to actually be Batman, right? It's just too much melancholy and darkness and sadness in your life. Not the life that I want to live, even though he's done extraordinary things. Superman, on the other hand, while I don't find him interesting from a story perspective, because the only way to make Batman interesting, by the way, is to take his powers away because he's too powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I love is him as an allegory for passion. Mm. So... When he's in the yellow sun, he's a superhero. But you take the yellow sun away, and he's got no powers. He's just an ordinary guy. So that I love. And that's what it felt like I went through in my own life was here I am. When I'm passionate, I can do things other people can't do. I can convince people of things that other people can't convince them of. Even with interviewing, I'm anxious until I find the thing about that guest that fascinates me. And then I give myself over to the fascination. Then I know I'm going to crush this interview because I'm actually interested. Like I am, I'm fascinated is the right word. I'm fascinated by this person. And so I want to get them in the chair next to me so I can discover that more for myself and bring that to the audience. Right? So I'm, I'm excited. I'm eager. And all of that takes over. Like that is my superpower passion. And I think that's everybody's superpower and it's his. And that's what he's talking about with comics or rap in the beginning when it was like he loved writing the rhymes Mm -hmm. and he was doing it like as a secret. Like think about how good he got. He was arguably the best writer of the time. Mm -hmm. That 
he's one of the best. Like mm-hmm. it's hard with some of the guys that were doing like really like, uh, what does he call it? Um, uh, mission. What was the word? Oh, message. Yeah, me- Message-based yeah. music. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but he is one of the greats of that yes. era. Undeniably, oh, yeah. like just hit, even hearing it when he was doing it on the show, I was like, this is still good. Mm-hmm. So a great writer. And he did it in secret. If Run hadn't discovered his rhymes, like he would still just be like in his own comic, he paints himself as a teacher. He was like, I think that's where I would have ended up. So to get that good at something just out of the love is pretty fascinating. Mm. That is really the superpower that's going to see anybody through. Wow. Uh, He also says revolutions begin with art. I love that. I love it too. Uh, Do you agree and keep providing... Actually, and also, can you provide an example of a revolution beginning with art that you know of? So I definitely agree with it. Um, and I'll give you a somewhat cheeky example. Okay. Just because it's, it's the first thing that comes to mind. If you'd warned me ahead of time, you'd be asking me such a deep and thoughtful question. <laughs> uh, I might have been better prepared. But um, so I'll give you the, the abstract. So look at a former guest on the show, Bassem Youssef. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing mm-hmm. the new dictator does when he comes in is take over the media. Because you can't have people creating yeah. shows that stir people emotionally. That's what they worry about. Um, symbolism is as old as the day is long. And of course, like when you come into a country, they destroy all the great art. I mean, that's like what they, they destroy your symbols, your mosques, your churches, like those are all going to be the things that you bomb the shit out of because yeah. they mean something emotionally to people. So there's a lot of iconography in all of that. If you'll let me sort of lump all the great, you know, especially religious-based artwork, mm. um, you can see how defacing that, destroying that becomes a, a pretty big symbol. Um, but the thing that came first to mind is the guy standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. Oh, yeah. And that photo has just taken a life of its own, mm-hmm. right? And represents standing up against the gigantic machinery of a government. And another one in, in our current times, the Guy Fox mask, mm. right? Which is worn by Anonymous and originally started in V for Vendetta. And so, I mean, it's like you can find like all these deep, the, the most powerful one that, that I just rattled off because it's specific and I think it's really had a lasting impact is the guy sitting in front of the tank. Now, that moment, though, wasn't meant as a piece of art. It just so happened that it was captured, but it's the art that spread, right? And that's what's so powerful, and that's what I want people to understand. Like, when you look at what we're doing, in fact, right now, if you're into comics, movies, TV shows, all that, go to impact or youtube.com forward slash impact theory studios. You're going to see like, it's us reaching out to the masses, mm-hmm. right? We're never going to address the masses with what we're doing on forward slash Tom It's too heady. It's very specific. It's the eat, right and exercise of mindset. Mm. But what we're going to do with studios and creating comic books and movies and TV shows and all of that, that's reaching the populace because it is that art. It's that symbology. It's the, the way that that gets to the emotional core of a human being that allows it to spread like wildfire. Wow. And, and so that, I mean, it, it's all about the ability to get to emotion. Revolution begins with art right here on Impact Theory. Truth. Look out. Um, can the narrative of comic books get people out of the matrix? Almost certainly 
not. No one piece of anything is ever going to get somebody out. Even when I watched The Matrix in 99, I didn't walk out a changed man. It planted a seed, and that seed took a long time to develop. Oh, really? Wow. I am very sad to report. I think there are precious few binary moments. So the one moment in my journey where I'm like, I know exactly what was happening the moment that I had that epiphany, and that epiphany is a like one of the core pillars of my belief system, which is what you build your self-esteem around matters. So that's probably the only thing I can trace back to a precise moment. But even that like moment was probably uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, and it was probably the culmination of a thousand little moments like that, mm -hmm. and then that finally was just the one. So. You know, I think, look, it's a brick, right? My whole concept of brick by brick. Like, mm. that's how a mindset is built. That's how the change is going to happen. I think what we're trying to do at Impact Theory is generational. Mm. So I think, honestly, Jeffrey Canada, get me Jeffrey Canada on this Man, fucking yeah. show. You know, I, I will admit that I relaxed on him when it wasn't happening because he was busy. I need to get back on it. I'm glad you Dude, that guy. Yeah, yeah, so the reason I bring him up now is his, his thesis, give up on adults. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't want that to be true more I than I can tell yeah. you, but that's why we'll do both. Yeah. I think we have to present because I got out of the matrix as an adult in my mid twenties. So I know it can happen. Yeah. Like I got out post my brain had solidified, which I'm actually very glad because a lot of the studies coming out are going to say, okay, brain plasticity is, is real and it carries on until the day that you die. But like so much of it's already in place. And by the time you're 25, it's kind of hard. Right, I promise that's what people are gonna say. Yeah, Because that's certainly how it feels experientially for all of us, and so it's hard for us to get ourselves out of our own limitations and say, well, it is possible, it may be hard, but it is possible. So I'm very grateful. Unfortunately, in my life, I've learned everything the hard way, including getting the fuck out of the matrix, <laughs> which I didn't do until after, they say it by 25, your brain is really solidified. Mm. And I'll say that my real journey my journey began in my early 20s, but I didn't really get out of the matrix until after my 26th birthday. So wow. it, was, that's, yeah, it was a that's... long, slow, painful process. So, I mean, the short answer is I don't think any one thing, a comic book or otherwise, okay. will be that. Like, you're in, then you're out. No, that makes sense. Yeah, it should, it, I mean, it should be some type of evolution. And like DMC said about evolution, it's, uh, yeah. I can't imagine something clicking right away in comics. But hey, I mean, to each its own. I know some people who feel that they've read the initial issue of Batman and right away. <laughs> and that's amazing. Things. And look, if it, again, saying that you can't get beyond your own experience, because it didn't happen that way for me, comics have been very important in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I consider them a truly great art form. And when it's done well, it's very, very powerful. Mm. And by the way, anybody that wants to help me stalk Brian Wood, um, that would be amazing. <laughs> I think he is arguably the most gifted writer working today. Um, so anybody right now on Instagram, he only posts pictures of his cat. Like one of the greatest <laughs> writers of our generation. And this guy only posts pictures of his cat on Instagram. I'm still <laughs> just, it's hilarious to me, like how easy it is to reach out. He's got like, yeah. I don't know, a couple hundred followers, I think. Fucking Brian Wood. Yeah. Um, so at Brian Wood, go hit him up. Um, <laughs> desperately cat. trying to suck him into our universe, okay. uh, which would be amazing. But um, yeah, it's a it's a very powerful art form with very accomplished talent working in it. Um, but I think this is all uh, you, you've got to impact culture to really pull people out of the matrix. Ah, uh, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. 
Um, well, speaking of comics and Brian Wood, uh, DMC says, when people say you're into corny make-believe shit, stand up <laughs> on your desk and pound your chest and say you're goddamn right. <laughs> so he's clearly embracing nerd culture. Now, has embracing nerd culture become the new black? Because you think of what Chris Hardwick's doing, what a bunch of other people's doing. Uh, and I know it's different. I, don't, I mean, I'm not in high school now. I don't know what it is for high schoolers now. But I remember when I was in high school, it was still a little taboo to embrace nerd culture. Mm. And uh, with television, uh, they definitely weren't embracing nerd culture uh, on a wide level. But I feel so much now nerd culture is being embraced. Has it become the new black? Um, I, I th oh, I'm not in high school either, so I'm going to guess that it's there's way more air cover for it now in high school. And I think a lot more people would raise their hand and say, I'm a nerd. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, dude, I think that cool is essentially, um, it's going to forever be things like being good looking, yeah. being athletically gifted. Like if even like thinking about um, esports. So let's say that you have a kid in esports. If he's socially awkward, he's still going to get made fun of, even mm. if he's raking in the dough. Yeah. Like they they don't know how to to channel their talent into social currency. Mm, so mm. to me, social currency is always going to be the effortlessness way that an extrovert, um, somebody who's easygoing and fun to be around and easy to look at. Like, I think those are all always going to be things for youth. Mm. Now, once you get beyond youth, then it becomes about how are the things that you care about able to help you achieve success and confidence and feeling good about yourself and quite frankly, impact. So once like embracing nerd culture as an adult, I think is way more interesting. And, and I'm guessing yeah. here, oh, I'm going to give you uh, this is so everybody, including myself say, be yourself. So I'm going to give you a great example okay. that I'm embarrassed to give, but it's so fucking true in high school. If you asked me if I masturbated, I'd be like, are you joking? <laughs> like, that's horrifying. I can't believe you'd even say that. Yeah. Then when I went to college, I was like, yeah, fucking master. That's, that's the perfect example. Right? The perfect that's, example. That's what I think, yeah. like, nerd culture is, right? In yeah. high school, it's probably still not cool, but by the time you get to be an adult, you're like, fuck it. I'm so into Superman. <laughs> I can't even tell you. Like, I obsess about the Justice yeah. League movie, yep. right? And so you just, like, get to a point where you don't give a shit what other people think. Then you really let your freak flag fly. Then people are really attracted to you and you go, whoa, like being myself is actually pretty amazing and this feels great. And now I'm attracting people that I actually want to yeah. be around. Like when I think about what's the ineffable thing that we use to judge who to bring onto the team here, mm -hmm. do I want to be around you? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. that's pretty simple. Like I want to like the faces I see. I want to get, this is really what I want. I want a warm, fuzzy feeling when I look at you. Yep. That's it. Uh, I'm not even sure where it comes from. I'm not sure if it's that we both like hip hop. I'm not like, I don't know, yeah. but it's like, when I look at the people here, I want to get that warm, fuzzy feeling like our Mr. Vietnam over there has jokes. The kid has for jokes yeah. for days. I mean, it and, took us like months to realize he was right? joking. Cause he, he is the shyest, <laughs> most deadpan person ever of all time. And he's so fucking nervous half the time that like when he started breaking out with jokes, we're like, Wait, is he joking? Yeah. And then yeah. you realize he's the funniest person yeah. in the fucking company. Uh -huh. So anyway, because he's able to be himself and it's so <laughs> yeah. psychotically endearing. So yeah, I think 
that that's my guess about nerd culture. Like we've both said, neither of us are in high school, so we don't really know. Yeah. But that's my gut instinct. No, I, I think you're right. I think that makes total sense. You just as you get older, you get more and more secure and comfortable with yourself. And if someone calls me a nerd for liking a superhero film, I'm like, all right, so what? <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, I'm gonna switch gears and go towards the obvious. DMC is a pioneer of hip hop. Mm. Uh, so first, jumping in, I'm going to ask, what's your favorite Run, DM song, Run DMC song and why? I'll have to go, oh, this is so painfully obvious, but Walk This Way. Because Walk This Way, I still love it to this day. I mm. think it is an amazingly good song. Mm. It's, I mean, that's Rick Rubin at like his mm. finest. And mm. I've always, always, always loved, especially like, put me in context for a second. White kid, yeah. there was like exactly one black kid at my high school. Oh, wow. And like literally one black kid. Oh, okay. Now to not exaggerate, there was less than 10, probably less than six. Wow. So it was, it was white. <laughs> so like that was like to the point where you just take it for granted. Yeah. Like you don't even think about it. And so being introduced to like, real hip hop. And I got into hip hop when I was like 11. It was probably the first music. Cause like, I didn't really like music until hip hop. Mm. So hip hop was like the first thing I was introduced to. I was obsessed with break dancing, popping. Mm. I didn't do mm. much breaking. Um, yeah, that ground was hard. Right. I could, I always like fell to the side when I tried to do the backspin. I don't know what I'm, maybe I'm not built for it. Um, so I was like way, way, way into hip hop culture. Uh-huh. But growing up as a white kid in Tacoma, it's like rock music was what you listened to. So, and then on top of that, my mom was like way, way, way into country. And so to quote Run DMC, they were like, this is a hillbilly song. (laughs) So it's like to mash up those two things, my love for hip hop Uh and which I think partly is born out of my obsession with words and then my love of rock music. Mm. So bringing it together, I loved it so much. And it's such an amazing story. I mean, uh, you, it's told very well in that Netflix documentary, hip hop, uh, revolution Mm. or hip hop evolution. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and how, uh, Daryl and, and run just did not want to do that song. And Russell and Rick, of course, were like, Rick, especially, like, you're doing that song. And they're like, why, like you said, it's hillbilly music. Why are we going to do this song? Not realizing what they were about to do to music. It's crazy. And it has not looked back. Like, think about this for a second. That song is the reason you have Linkin Park. Yeah, yes. Like, just to to carry it all the way to one of the biggest bands of all time. Did you know how big they were, Linkin Park? Yes. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. And then I saw their Facebook page. I was like, what? It's nuts. Crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, and they had no idea what they were about to create. And, uh, of course, Rick Rubin, uh, he had the idea. But, I mean, he bridged the gap, and it opened the doors uh, for so many. I mean, and MTV was playing the hell of that song, and suddenly it's like, oh, well, let's really get creative and put much more hip-hop on MTV. Um, So, yeah, um, that's a great choice. Mine, my favorite Run DMC song is um, Christmas Time in Hollis, Queens. Oh, my God, I listen to it every year. Yes, yes. A thousand times. Yes, I love it. It evokes so many emotions. For one... Uh, this is the main reason, but one of one of the big reasons for me is if you can recall, it's used in Die Hard. Yes, and- yes, which I watch every year. By the way, <laughs> yes, yes. Do you have a I Christmas think- music? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Christopher. 
What's the next line? I forgot line? the line. Oh my god, I this forgot is the Christmas line. Music. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny, I equate that movie to a holiday film because it's very Oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and I love that the limo driver's playing it and it, it, I just it, it I think of that film. So there's that. And for when when I first heard that song, it blew my mind, especially the line it's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken and collard greens. Do you know that I didn't even know what collard greens were until oh, really? I heard that song? Oh, my God. Never. I literally had no idea. Oh, man. Every Christmas, my mom, of course, was going to cook chicken and collard greens. <laughs> and I'd never heard that. It's chestnuts roasting. On the- <laughs> That's right. what you heard, right? Everyone heard that. And then suddenly... You hear this song where someone's talking about chicken and collard greens for Christmas. I'm like, ah, that's what we eat for Christmas. And it blew my mind. And I, it, it be, it's become my favorite Run DMC song yeah. because of that. And every Christmas I have to play it. And, and when I hear it in commercials or movies, I stop what I'm doing mm. to hear it. Uh, so that's You know what's one. really interesting? And, and I'm guilty as charged. Hip-hop started like Fly Girl was my favorite song, <laughs> right? You and I have yeah. well bonded over that. Um and the message, um, songs mm. that were coming out, like really positive, like almost just fun and playful, right? That's where hip hop started. A lot of it, as um, DMC was talking about, came out of disco. Mm-hmm. And then it went gangster. And I got way, way into gangster <laughs> rap, dude. I am not going to lie to you. Like, even when 50 Cent was like trying to be more positive, and yeah. he was like, I just can't be around that like negative attitude mm-hmm. all the time, I was heartbroken <laughs> because like when when i want to capture the darkness i oh, need yeah. the music music yeah. is one thing that really clicks me over and can get me into an aggressive dominant state which sometimes i need like i need that edge yeah and so i'm grateful that that genre of music exists and so when i want and th- this was explained to me by this amazingly gifted and very bright jewish guy that i used to work with and he said, and I never realized what it was about hip-hop I was so drawn to. And he was like, oh, there's no anxiety in hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he was like, there is not an ounce of insecurity or <laughs> conflict like with themselves. Like They're going to like win. They're going to crush you. They're dripping in diamonds, jewels, success. Like <laughs> It's all they talk about. And I was like, oh, my God. And he was like, literally, traditional white music is defined by anxiety. And I was like, what? And then I was like... Oh my God. It's like, especially growing up listening to country music, right? And the old joke was, what do you get when you play country music backwards? You get your car back, your dog back, your wife back. And I was like, oh my God. Like, okay, look, admittedly a little too ham handed in the simplicity, but like directionally, like there's something to it. And I thought that was really, really fascinating. And I remember, so God, I'm really digressing here for a second. I remember when, Eminem first came on the scene. Mm-hmm. Now I heard him on the radio. Yep. And so I'm like, this is amazing. You never hear, like, I didn't have the word insecurity, but you never hear people like grappling with like the sort of funny, like insecure side yeah. in hip hop. You never hear that. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And then I was with Rashawn, mm-hmm. the kid that I used to big brother. And I remember we were um, on like the corner of La Brea and Sunset and they had this big billboard and it had this white guy in Eminem's <laughs> billboard. And I'm like, why is there a white guy in Eminem's billboard? I'm trying to think like, what's the joke? Uh-huh. And Rashawn goes, Eminem's white. And I'm like, get out of here. He was like, no, I'm being serious. I was like, there's no way Eminem is white. He was like, I'm telling you, that's fucking Eminem. You're like, ah. I-, I couldn't believe it. But then I was like, oh my God, like, is this really that pervasive? Yeah. That that's sort of the dividing line of traditional hip hop not being, not dealing with 
things you're anxious about at all. It's like all confidence bravado all the time. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, Well, we have time for one more. Uh, So, yeah, there's a story about Run DMC making Adidas popular in urban culture and even popular culture. Uh, It's said to be a big turning point in branding. I want to talk about that and digest that Mm. a little bit. Uh, We all know the story. Uh, They just, uh, first of all, hip hop. uh, And again, going back to that documentary uh, series, um, Hip Hop Revolution. Mm. It's so funny because. Is it evolution or revolution? We're going to have to pick one. Evolution. What did I say? That's a revolution Revolution, again? It's wrong with me. It's evolution. It's definitely evolution. Uh, (laughs) So uh, they interview all, you know, different types of. Amazing documentary. Amazing. And there's this funny part where. Uh, they're interviewing, uh, I want to say it's Grandmaster Cass, and he's basically talking about what they used to wear, uh, the early hip hoppers. They mm. were superstars, and they would be extravagant because there was a bridge between disco. So they would wear leather pants, they would wear panties on their shoulders, and mink, and this and that, and big space age glasses, and they looked like people from different planets, and this and that, planet rock. And then, you, of course, you had Africa Bombada who would wear like headdresses. They went all out at these mm. shows. Then, here comes Run DMC, and they simplify it. They're wearing black jeans, <laughs> sometimes black leather jackets, sometimes Adidas jackets, and just Adidas shoes and Kangos are, are just uh, fedoras. Fedora, yeah. mm-hmm. And so they mix and matched, but they simplified it. So all of a sudden, they made hip-hop even more successful. I mean, uh, accessible. Hip-hop was already accessible to the streets. That was the music that came out of the streets but suddenly became even more accessible because here you have, have a bunch of kids in, you know, in Harlem and the Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens thinking like, I wear black jeans. I wear like Adidas track jackets. I wear Adidas and I could just buy a fedora and mm. bam, I'm there. So suddenly urban culture just takes off through the roof because you see these guys who are superstars and they're wearing this and it becomes accessible to the streets. And, of course, Adidas finally took note because they saw the effect that the song My Adidas had on hip-hop culture. And, uh, and you know, the rest is history. So I just wanted to get your take on that as a, uh, from a Brandon uh, perspective. It, it's genius. And when you hear the story being told about reflect back to them what they already see, what they are, it was Genius. And this is one of those where it's hard to recapture now because that's so like that's gone so far to where um, like by the time NWA comes on the scene and stuff, you feel like these guys walked like got off at 5 p.m. and walked to shoot the music video, you know, at 530. Uh It's like it just feels like this is what they were to their normal job. And that like at the time though was so weird mm-hmm. because everything was theatrical yeah. and so removing the theatricality you play against type like now you've got a chance to really capture people's imagination you've got to go i forget who said this but it's like if you really want to be remembered if you want to make a mark you have to go against the grain and be right mm. so by doing that by reflecting it back to the everyday person suddenly it felt like you could do it so you idolize the person that you feel like whoa i could do that and so now all of a sudden all these people that had the turntables hiding in the basement that the big brother got or whatever like all of a sudden they thought whoa i could actually do that so it's i look what russell simmons did for hip-hop is just it's unimaginable and it's it's really interesting to think like Where's that happening now? 
Because it's happening somewhere, yeah. right? Somebody is doing that thing for that, whatever mm -hmm. that is, right? That cultural revolution that's about to happen. So it's really, really interesting to see what they're doing. The last person that really sort of made a splash and they did in the exact opposite direction was Lady Gaga, right? She oh, went yeah. so theatrical right. that it was like, about the time she's wearing the meat suit, you're like, <laughs> what is happening? But it becomes like, and this is something from a branding perspective, and I'm actually super conflicted about this with DMC. So you need to be, um, uh, there's not a great way to say it, mimicable. You need to be, um, turn, you need to be able to be turned into a caricature. There has to be something that's like easy to grab onto the leather jacket, the Adidas shoes, the fedora hat and the big glasses, right? Which is why I think DMC is arguably the, the single most iconic, iconic image of eighties hip hop yeah. period. Oh yeah. Right. Not run. No. DMC because he had the glasses. So it's like immediately I could wear it as a Halloween costume. You'd be like, oh, immediately, DMC. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So you need that hook. Yeah. So because they were playing, like if I had dressed up as like Grandmaster Flash, right? Well, which one am I? Am I Grandmaster Flash? <laughs> am I one of the like people yeah. from the village people? Yeah, it's like exactly. you enough people sort of have <laughs> some of those things that it becomes like archetypal of like a whole class of people versus where it was like run DMC. Like that look was so fresh that it was able to just now define everything. And of course, years later, it becomes generic because everybody's dressing like it. And then somebody else is going to have to go against type to redefine it. And so you see them try to reinvent themselves in the nineties and they're not dressing the same yeah. anymore. Right. So because somebody comes along and they redefine the expectation, so that, that to me is the game of branding, right? It's what mm. I think about now. I think that we're gonna be able to do something that no, nobody else has been able to do since Disney because A, we'll have the discipline to only deal with mindset, only be empowering, and then B, we understand social and traditional. I don't think anybody else does. I think people either understand social or they understand traditional, but not both. Mm. And so I think if we play our cards right, and we're also gonna have to do some things with look and feel and story, the way that we tell stories and stuff, because people have to have a singular emotion when they walk out. Think of the end of Karate Kid, mm -hmm. when he kicks him in the face. Like The end of that movie is how people should feel at the end of every one That's of our, our films, comic books, whatever. If we can pull that off, and remember, you hear, heard it here first. If Disney is the most magical place on earth, we're going to be the most empowering place on earth. And I don't mean that physically, but I mean like when you pick up our stuff, like that's how it should feel. And if we pull that off, I think we redefine things. And then I think people try to copy it. Mm. That's amazing. Well, we are out of time. All right. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. DMC is an amazing human being. I'm telling you right now, off camera, he is even more magical than he is on camera. Dive into his world. Support his comic. Go check that thing out. Um, they're, they're just doing an incredible job of trying to bring something new to the world of comics. I'm very, very excited about what they're doing. I'm very excited about him. Uh, so I hope that you guys love this episode and I hope that you will go engage with him and support him and everything that he's doing. I think he's trying to really add something beautiful to the world and I commend him for that. All right. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. 
Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.